After a bizarre first 30 minutes of football Saturday night in Norman, the Sooners made some halftime adjustments and eased a little bit of the concern by going on to beat Kent State 33-3 to improve to 2-0 in Brent Venables' first season as Oklahoma's head coach. Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. I am Lee Benson, and joining me as always is Grant Benson. We're here on a Sunday morning, ready to fire away. What's going on, Grant? Nothing much. Just kind of happy that uh, OU was able to survive on a very, very crazy college football Saturday. Lee, as, the, uh, as all of the chaos was happening sort of in the early and mid windows on Saturday, I, I started to get a little nervous. I did start to get a little nervous. And I was like, in my head, I was starting to think, I was like, I, you know, are the, is the coaching staff aware of everyone kind of pissing down their leg today in college football? And do they say something to the team? Do they... Like, I, I've, I've always wondered that, like when whenever there's like a crazy day like that and then OU is playing at night, are they aware of that? And, and do people think in their heads, ah, gosh, I really hope this isn't us tonight. We have to we really need to make sure that this is not going to be us, that that Notre Dame is not going to happen to us either. Yeah, it's a good question. And I, you know, who knows? Maybe one of the coaches was asked about that. I'll be honest. Uh, uh, it was a night game, and the way it worked out with timing-wise, uh, you know, of course, I was at the game, but I work at News 9 in Oklahoma City, and so we have shows that begin at 10 o'clock on Saturdays, and so Dean had to do live shots for the news at 10 o'clock and 10.30, and that was happening right in the middle of Brent Venables' press conference and Jeff Lebby and, and Ted Roof and all the players, and so I have not heard one bit from the press conference. Uh, I, I did not get up and watch it this morning I you know rather I, I watched a little bit of the game so who knows maybe you know Brent Venables was asked about that hey crazy day in college football do you I, I don't know so I, I just want to put think that out there in case. I don't think anyone asked him but but that's just kind of that's how I like to look at it in this situation because you know and we'll get into it you know as, as we go on into the podcast but obviously a lot of people are gonna have some uneven thoughts about the game last night and uh, I do too, and we can get into them, but I'm really going to endeavor to be to stay positive in this one just because really for the most part, my expectations have totally changed for this team going forward, and I just want to have a good attitude about it. That's fine, and you know, hey, it, it's kind of um, interesting because we were talking about you know, our last episode about expectations and you know, who decides on what's a successful season or not. And, you know, my expectations, uh, they haven't really changed. I, I still haven't really formed them fully. I mean, we're, I, I, I'm still kind of waiting for more information on this team. But, uh, yeah, we can get into it. I, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I was thinking, like, uh, you know, uh, this is a podcast. You know, we're not ball washers here in West of Everest. We want to jump in and kind of hit at some of the things that are going wrong. But then I thought more about it. I was like, you know what? The defense played so well. And that's a pretty good Kent State offense. Let's start with the defense because, uh, you know, they deserve it. And that's where we're going to begin. We'll get to the offense after we talk about the defense. Uh, and also, I know I'm jumping around real quick. I do want to acknowledge the whole uh, iTunes, Apple podcast thing continues as far as I know. I haven't checked this morning, but uh, we still have not been able to get our last two episodes on iTunes. But I am a little bit more, I guess, um, I'm not as concerned about it as I would otherwise because other podcasts are having issues too. It, this seems like it's a SoundCloud issue. Those who use SoundCloud as their podcast hosting site, uh, they're having problems. I know uh, the Sooner Scoop podcast, I'm not sure if they use SoundCloud. I'm guessing they do. I know the Sooner Scoop podcast was not updated or uploaded to iTunes this week. Uh, I'm not sure if they had their post-game podcast uploaded or not, but uh, that one, there's another podcast that you and I listen to that's not in sports that 
I was listening to them earlier this week on Thursday, and they it said that their podcast was not uploading to iTunes, and they also use SoundCloud. So this is an issue with SoundCloud, I think, and it's difficult to get in contact with anybody over there in iTunes. So uh, I don't know when this is going to be figured out. I don't know whenever the podcast will be up on those on that platform again. But until then, just uh, listen to Spotify, uh, Stitcher. I think uh, Google Podcasts, I believe, also has our our podcast and. Uh, the SoundCloud, you know, if you just search West of Everest SoundCloud, you'll be able to get our podcast. So just wanted to throw that out there real quick in case any of you out there are, are wondering what the heck's going on with iTunes. Okay. And, the, you know, and I, I'm not sure, <laughs> Go if, ahead. you know, if, if, if you're a typical iTunes listener, I mean, I don't even know if you're if you're listening to this or not, um, but I, I really, really make the switch to Spotify. Um, I, I understand that people have preferences and that it's um, and, you know, it's hard to, you know, to move people off this stuff. Spotify really is a lot better in every conceivable way. I would really recommend making the switch over. Yeah. And just simply, I I agree with that. And as far as uh, the most important part about being better, Spotify, since I've been using it and since really anything, there's never any sort of problems with uploading this podcast. I mean, every time I upload it, I check Spotify relatively quickly after that. It's there. And sometimes with iTunes in the past, it would take a little bit longer to, to populate in iTunes. And with Spotify, it shows up pretty quick. And that's the most important thing, right? The podcast is on the platform that you're using to listen to it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I agree. So I make that switch or, or find something other than iTunes because as much as I used that in the past, it just it wasn't doing it for me. And it's, it's not as good as it used to be. Okay, this is an Oklahoma football podcast. Let's talk some football defense. So uh, a big note. That Brent Venables pointed out, I did, I did see people talking about this, so I didn't hear Venables after the game, but he did note that it was the, uh, the, the first time OU was allowed three points or fewer to an FBS opponent since 2017 when Oklahoma only gave up three points to KU in that infamous Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, grabbing his crotch type game, uh, just a legendary, legendary performance. Uh, so uh, my thought was, all right, I mean, it's been five years since they allowed three or fewer to an FBS team, but also those Kansas team, that Kansas team was bad. And that Oklahoma defense in 2017 was not that good. Uh, so my, I was thinking, okay, when was the last time they allowed three or fewer to a, a non, a, you know, a non Kansas FBS team. And it actually didn't take me that long to figure this out. I will I know, you know, the answer to this grant, but real quick in 2016, OU actually allowed three points to Kansas again. So it was back-to-back years, 2016 and 2017. They only gave up three points to Kansas. But you go back to 2015, the the first year Oklahoma made the playoff, that was the last time an OU team allowed three or fewer points to a non-KU FBS team, and that was to who, Grant? It's K-State and one of the uh, Joe Hubner-led K-State, one of the more inept offensive performances I've seen in a long time. So Kansas State. So, I mean, I, you know, you might think, okay, when was the last time OU allowed three or fewer points to a non-Kansas-related FBS team? Well, the answer was actually earlier in the 2015 season. OU allowed only three to Akron in the season opener. And Baker Mayfield, I think that was Baker Mayfield's first start, I believe, or for OU debut. It was. It was. Uh, a, ga- yeah. a, a game offensively that was actually pretty similar to the one we watched last night by OU, interestingly enough. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get to the offense later, but I just wanted to point that out. So the defense, uh, that's kind of the theme early on, right? Two games in, OU allowed 13 to UTEP and three to Kent State. And I think you and I, 
we both agree, and you kind of convinced me more of it during the podcast last week, and then as I did more research and looked more into it, I was, I was more with you. This Kent State offense is a better offense, I think, than UTEP's offense. So, Significantly uh, better. And it, I think yeah, that's... It, there's just, there's, I think there's if, a lot more talent. If you want to find a narrative, for sure, this is, this is the thing to take away from this week, for sure, is that OU played an offense that is significantly better than the one that they played last week, and they only held them to three points. And I'm, I'm especially encouraged by it because I think this Kent State offense has three guys who are at least going to get a cup of coffee in the NFL. Uh, Colin Schley, their quarterback, for sure is going to. Uh, and then Dante Cephas, the receiver. And then their, uh, their running back, Marquez Cooper. I think all those guys are at least going to be in a camp uh, in, an F- in an NFL setting at some point in time. And so, I, you know, I'll take that, man. I'll, I'll take that all day long. There's a lot of things that you can point out to like on the defense, um, but that's just kind of where I want to start. Absolutely. That's, that is the one thing we can point towards from one regime to the next. It's clearly, it looks, it looks a lot better, at least, at least through two games. It just kind of looks like they have a much better understanding of what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and, and that's what we all hope for, right? Uh, it, it's pretty encouraging that two games into the Brent Venables era, and it's, you know, it's two games against a group of five opponents Uh, but in the past I mean Oklahoma's defense under Mike Stoops and and, and even Alex Grinch the last three years they you know they could look good without you know under Alex Grinch but then they would give up some boneheaded weird explosive plays uh, you know garbage time scores not even garbage time scores sometimes just scores that you think what happened there they that should not have happened they they should have been more prepared for that they should have been ready for that and that's not necessarily happening through the first two games. And uh, just to kind of drive home, you know, our point, your point about the Kent State offense against the UTEP offense. This is just a you know a, a, a bit of data. Uh, UTEP yesterday played New Mexico State. New Mexico. I mean, that's kind of. I mean, they're kind of in the same area. I'm not sure if it's technically a rivalry or not. I just I, I have a buddy that lives down in El Paso, works for the news, and I know he covers both New Mexico State and UTEP. So I'm not sure if that's considered a regional type rivalry whatever doesn't matter New Mexico State's 0-3 uh, UTEP won the game 20-13 to and UTEP didn't even eclipse the 300 yards of total offense mark so you know UTEP's offense you would think I don't think you, uh, New Mexico State's defense is supposed to be uh, great just gonna guess and UTEP couldn't even get over 300 yards so I think you know that Kent State offense certainly is is better than the UTEP offense and Oklahoma was able to to get in the backfield quite a bit against Kent State uh, 14 tackles for loss, I believe. Uh, I'll double-check this as Grant gets talking here in a second, but I believe it's the most TFL since they had... Uh, OU had, I think, 15 against Baylor in the 2019 Big 12 title game. I'll check that out. But, uh, you know, people in the backfield quite a bit. And, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of players that we can kind of highlight and, and point out and say, hey, man, good job. Yeah, I mean, it's like, where do you want to start? I think uh, I... I guess I would start with one guy. Danny Stutzman was was all over the field, and uh, he just made plays. I ate four TFLs, man, and all of them felt kind of big, pretty pretty big situationally. Yeah, Stutzman was great. He's definitely one of the guys that stood out to me. Uh, and, and you know, in, in different moments of the game, you know, sack, a big sack at one point, I think, ended up leading to uh, the Drake Stoops touchdown in the second half. Uh, and then also he had a, a big stop where uh, you know Kent State all game long was doing that weird thing with their quarterback and their receiver and they were kind of trying to show like oh who's going to take the snap here they probably did that five or six times throughout the entire game obviously setting something up and then finally when Kent State decided to do something with it Danny Stutzman was there to 
to snuff out the play where the running back took the direct snap and stopped him for no gain or a, a TFL on fourth down. And that was a big play too, a big momentum shift in the second half. So he, he seems like he has really taken a giant step under Brent Venables and, and Ted Roof. And we didn't talk about this on the last podcast, but there was a, an exchange with Brent Venables last week during his you know, almost 50-minute long press conference where he was going into long detail about Danny Stutzman. And essentially, in the fall, or in the fall, in the spring, early on when Venables got there, Venables said like, there was times where he, he went to Stutzman. He was like, hey, man, are, like, do you even want to be good? Like, Do you even want to come ask for to watch some game film or, or notes or like, like he was like questioning the guy and it and I don't know uh how much like how uh, how many other players were maybe asking for help and maybe he wasn't but it was just kind of interesting that Venables was kind of like hey are, do you even want to be good and that you know obviously got Stutzman's attention and all the work he's put in and everything he's done behind the scenes off the field there's even a moment where Venable said you know Stutzman showed up to one of the first meetings when Venables and the new staff was there and Stutzman didn't have anything to write with didn't have like anything like a, a notebook or anything to like a pen and it you know and, and Venables did point out hey he wasn't the only one like it wasn't just Danny Stutzman there was other players that weren't prepared either but just kind of small stuff like that is interesting to me because you know it just kind of shows you that these guys were showing up kind of whatever maybe they weren't used to taking notes in meetings with the previous regime. I don't know. Uh, And that changed. And I will say, as an adult, I kind of learned that the hard way. It's kind of a small thing. Maybe you out there listening know. Maybe you know this, Grant. I remember my first job out of college. Uh, It it was a job I wasn't really sure about. I kind of got the opportunity, got thrown into it. I remember going to a a meeting one of my first days, a big meeting with the entire team. It was at a production company in Minneapolis. It wasn't really close to what I'm doing now and everybody there at the meeting showed up and they had a notebook they had stuff to write with take notes I showed up empty-handed I had nothing and immediately I thought oh oh no this is not good and uh, I didn't last long on that job I uh, they let me go about three weeks later <laughs> so ever since then I remember any sort of meeting for anything I ever go to I show up I got a, I got a notebook I got a pen I'm ready to take notes I'm ready to listen and I think that's a lesson maybe Danny Stutzman and a lot of other guys on this team learn all the way back in the spring and I promise you it helps it it's a big deal and uh, that's a long way of me you know getting to the point where he looks a lot better right now than he did last season and he's becoming one of the leaders of this defense Grant let's not crown him yet let's not crown him yet I just he just had a good game kiss baby Butkus Award, bring it to Norman. No, he's he just got he, he had he had a good game and I, I liked the way that he looked but let's not let's not crown him you know quite yet they were still able, Marquez Cooper was still able to pick up some chunk yardage in the, in the middle of the field a little bit over the course of the game. Let's not, let's not go a little, let's not go, go too far quite yet, but it does, you're right, it looks like that he has begun to at least start to put it together, and, and obviously it, it showed in the box score last night for sure. Um, other guys I, I want to highlight, actually, I, I just, I, you know, through two games, I don't want to make declarative statements, but, I, you know, I will say this. We already talked about Stutzman For, through the first two games. Lee, I think the uh, you know I think Stutzman and I think Billy Bowman are the two best players on this defense. At least that's what it looks like. That's what my eyes are telling me um, when I watch the first two games. Billy Bowman is just he's everywhere. He is everywhere. Uh, so I he had eleven tackles last night. I rewatched the first quarter, so he certainly 
flashed a little bit more so far in my rewatch than he did last week. I I, I think last week there I, I don't I don't know really know what people were seeing. I think he was fine. I don't think he really did much last week, uh, even for the entirety of the game. Because uh, I mean I, I remember last week we were talking like ah through the first quarter I didn't really see much, uh, and then I watched the rest of the game and I it, it didn't really see much either. But I think last night there was a couple of plays at least early on where. Uh, his recognition, there was a play towards the boundary where he was able to come up and get a hit on their gigantic RB2 and get a stop kind of in the game where he was able to uh, immediately read run and he exploded up and made a play. Uh, there was also that play on third down where there was a slant to Cephas and he hit Cephas immediately. He read that play and, and Justin Bros was there as well. Those are the two plays that stood out to me early on in this game. As I watch more, I'm sure I'll see it more, but he certainly does look a lot more comfortable uh, but he is not somebody where I am at this point thinking that he's one of the best players on the defense. No, I, I, I don't see that. I at think all. You're, I, I, yeah, I guess I, I don't I don't know what you're not seeing. He's I notice him on on virtually every play. He interesting. I mean, again, like last week, I just don't as, you know, as a safety. You're kind of just there like I, I, I want guys to make kind of more play. I mean, last week he looked like he was he was arriving a tick too late a lot. Uh, this week he looked a little bit more comfortable, at least from, again. From I mean, what he I've made re-watched. the play. I mean, he forced that fumble and he recovered it. On oh yeah, third no, down. That's, that's a good. Point. Yeah, that was a great play. That was a great play. Oh, and actually, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, obviously I just that slipped my mind. And and you're right. And I was kind of thinking more about early in the game in my rewatch. Just the uh, you know this is kind of like a, a human thing. <laughs> that was a great individual effort by him ripping the ball out. And just imagine being in his shoes and just being a you know a football player or whatever sport, and you you rip it like you're 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 down there, you rip it out and you feel the ball come out and then you hear the the crowd just go nuts and then you're fighting for the ball and you get it and then all just the explosion because you know he got a first down and all of a sudden now you took the ball away. I just think that you know I think back to when I played high school football and there's nothing anywhere close to what Billy Bowman just accomplished there and just but the, the coolness of just hearing the crowd in a high school game I just think that I mean that's one of those experiences that not a lot of humans get to get to feel and Billy Bowman got that is, is that weird that I that I was thinking about that as that happened I was no, like I was man that's got to be really too. cool, it's a cool it, was a, it was a cool play it's like how often do you actually like rip the ball out of someone's hand and recover it yourself uh, especially like kind of deep in enemy territory as well. I mean, that's set up OU really, really nicely on offense. Um, but I guess, yeah, I, I guess I'm not when I when I say that Billy Bowman to me is clearly, you know, him and Stutzman are, are are clearly the two best. It's just because Billy Bowman just looks different out there. He moves differently than everyone. He moves with a confidence uh, that 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 everyone else on the defense doesn't seem to have. And you know, I'll. He's he's an all Big Twelve guy for sure in my mind. Um, he is he's a guy who is just going to continuously get better this year. I think OU's got a stud with him. I, he's he's the most active guy that I've seen back there that position that OU's had in a really long time. Yeah, he looks good, and, and you know, I'm not saying that I I, I think he's just a guy. I, I do see I I see the potential there. Uh, I'm just kind of waiting for more. But yeah, you're right. The, that play was big. I mean that that is a great individual effort. Uh, that turnover, and I, I guess I would, you know, Stutzman looks really good, and I mean Reggie Grimes looks great. I mean Reggie Grimes is flying around out there. I mean he he looks different. I mean I I'd say he's one maybe the best guy in defense right now. He's I mean he's uh, he, definitely has the he's got the stats. I mean he's he's been the most statsy guy for sure. He's got four sacks in the first two games. So yeah, he's playing so smart. 
uh, and just really the entire front. I I'm really in. I'm really impressed with the front, and they're getting a lot of guys in and out of there. And I, I'm really, really happy with what I'm seeing from the front guys. And, I mean, good to see Jalen Redmond uh, play pretty darn well. Jalen uh, Redmond was, was real good, real good on Saturday. Yeah, two and a half TFLs. I know that uh, you know that we had a little bit of clarification or uh, some more information about kind of his, his background Remember the the concussion that happened early on in training camp? We were kind of worried about it, and it sounds like that you know it took a little bit of time to to bounce back from that. And you know he didn't start against UTEP, he didn't start against Kent State. He's he's kind of trying to get his uh, you know get that number one spot back. But really, I mean the way they bring players in and out, I, I don't know if you necessarily have to start. I mean it's not it's not like uh, the quarterback. You know if you're the starting quarterback and you're kind of the guy, it's it just. It's kind of similar to the Alex Grinch, the Speed D, honestly, with the defensive lineman, Grant. I mean, they're putting a lot of guys in and out, series to series. They're giving a lot. I mean, I mean we'll it makes see sense. if that gonna, I mean, they're going to face a ton of plays this year. A ton. Yeah. yeah. So, especially they, on the defensive there's, line, there's it talent. makes sense. They have guys. And also, Lee, they have, they're, they're foursome on the interior, the defensive line, with, uh, with, with Redmond and Johnson and Coe and Kelly is really solid. I mean, yeah. that's a really, really solid foursome there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was good to see. I mean, uh, Coe and Johnson in that first series really stood out to me, getting pressure, getting off blocks relatively easily, and then obviously Reggie Grimes finished off that first series with the sack. Uh, just, yeah, again, the whatever Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis are doing, not surprisingly, they're, they're making those guys look really good. And, uh, and, and again, the credit to you know Danny Stutzman. He's looking really good out there. Aguebu uh, yeah, had six tackles last night, one TFL. Um, he he was a little bit more muted, I think, than game one. But you know he'll he's going to be there. He's going to be a, a main piece. Uh, it, it was weird. I know this might be going in a different direction, but even more so than the UTEP game, it really did seem like at least early on in my rewatch. And you know, we'll see if this happens more and more as I watch the the TV copy back. It, it looks like Deshaun White is straight up playing a safety position some of the times. <laughs> like he's, he's playing. I mean, he is playing Nickelback. There is that's that <laughs> is great. his position right now. It's just so interesting. So, so interesting. But you also, I, you know, what I did see, though, in this game, Lee, is I saw much more situational subbing with Justin Harrington uh, in, in more high-leverage situations as well. But the thing that I thought was interesting was is that Harrington and White were on the field at the same time. They were taking off Igwebu and Stutzman for Harrington in situations. Yeah, and there was one big one early on when I was re-watching it where it was maybe one of the worst plays of the day on defense where it was a third and long play, and they did that sub, and they, they subbed out Stutzman and Aguebu, they put in Harrington, and also Damon Harmon got into the game. And you know, how much of that is because Key Lawrence was out; he wasn't dressed, so they had to deep, you know, dig into their safety depth. But uh, you know, Damon Harmon comes in. They had six defensive backs plus Deshaun White on the field, and that was the play in the first quarter when Colin Schley, the quarterback, on third and eleven or third and twelve, the entire middle of the field just cleared out. And he was like, "Oh, I'll just run this," and he picked up the first down. And I thought, ah. That was that a miscommunication? Because that I don't know if they're, I don't know if they they would have really wanted to not have a spy on this really athletic quarterback. Uh, I don't know. So I mean, but that was as a, the game went on. It, it I, I imagine as the game went on, they kind of figured that out better. Yeah, that was an interesting thing. I, I that's something that I I wonder if once they saw that because OU didn't really put that package on the field a lot against UTEP, but like I mean. Now that we saw how good of a runner Colin Schley is, and he's also a big guy, he's he's huge actually. Um, 
that's I, I mean, I Kent State's gonna kill a bunch of teams in the MAC with spreading people out like that and just having Schley run around. That's that's a real that's that's one kind of schematic advantage that Kent State sort of had there was that you know if they were able to spread OU out and just kind of and essentially have Schley run up the middle if the if, if the if the middle of the field vacated, that's pretty tough to stop for them just because he's a physical presence. And so I thought that was kind of just like an odd. It's like once once OU did that once and then they saw how Kent State countered it. I'm surprised OU went back to it. Uh, to be honest with you, because if you go back and watch. That was really all Kent State. That's really the only way they, they were able to, to move the ball was essentially OU not knowing what to do with Colin Schley's legs, essentially. That's, that's how they moved the ball. Yeah, we talked about how his, his legs could have been a problem in the preview podcast. He's athletic and stuff, but he, he didn't show that much running against Washington that, uh, compared to what we saw last night. I mean, he, he's a good player. He's a really good player. Uh, the, the one thing that I don't know about, I don't know if he can consistently complete passes, uh, but he's got a really strong arm. I don't know if he has very much touch. They'll have to improve on that. But got great size. He's very athletic. He's slippery. I mean, he should have been sacked a lot more than three times. Uh, but uh, you know, good on him. But but good on Oklahoma's defense again. I mean, holding a team like that to only three and not allowing any sort of late garbage time stuff. Credit to I guess both teams. Uh, you know, they kind of pull, everyone kind of pulled their starters pretty early on in the fourth quarter. It seemed like so there was almost like all right, let's get out of here. This game's over. Which makes uh, sense. I mean, Kent State was, uh, OU was getting consistent push on Kent State's offensive line. That was, that was something that didn't necessarily stand out as I was watching it live. But when I, when I rewatched the first half this morning, Lee, yeah, OU's defensive line was getting in the backfield really consistently, really the entire time. And I, I, I have to imagine that Kent State knew that. And so, I mean, yeah, by, when it was 33-3 to in the fourth quarter, it was over. It was over. You might as well get, yeah. especially get Schley out of there because, like, I was watching Kent State, from their perspective, get him out of there so you can win the MAC championship. You don't want him to get hurt. Yeah, it was over, but also pretty bad loss there for Brent Venables, though. Uh, now he's now 1-1 one one against the spread. Didn't cover that number. You got you to cover that big number. I mean, especially after how bad the first half went. They were on track then to somehow cover miraculously and they didn't but hey you know what if you follow me on twitter i told you yesterday to maybe nibble on kent state plus a 33 and a half and if you did uh well i guess thank you but if you picked you know follow any of my other picks yesterday then i'm sorry but uh yeah uh i i really thought they were going to go ahead and get another touchdown and, and somehow miraculously cover the big spread but you know didn't happen didn't they didn't need to uh the the way the way the first half went though i mean they had no business covering uh but uh, crazy, yeah. We'll get to the obviously get to the offense here in a moment. I we, you know, do want to talk about the defense a little bit more. God, who? Oh, I mean, Justin Harrington. You mentioned him. Interception late in the game it was off the backup quarterback. I don't really know what happened on that play. I didn't rewatch it, but uh, that looked like just a really bad decision by the, the backup quarterback. Threw it right to him. But you know, good to see Justin Harrington. After all, we've talked about him, heard about him, you know, playing a pretty good amount of snaps on Saturday. And I mean, even though it was late in the game, gets an interception, gets a turnover, gets a takeaway. That's good stuff. Um, uh, anybody else on defense that you'd like to highlight point out? I mean, not really. There, there was no one who I would be like, Oh gosh, that person didn't play well. I, you know, I didn't really see anyone like that. Uh, Justin Harrington's pick. I'm sure he's, he's probably disappointed that he kind of bobbled it a little bit. Otherwise he may have scored and oh, you would have covered the spread if that would have happened. But, uh, we'll, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll leave that in the, in the rear view. Uh, I, I'll got it. Hey, I, I'll, I'll bring it up right now. 
Um, yeah, Key Lawrence didn't play, and it, it took me until about the second quarter when I realized that I hadn't seen him out there yet. I texted you and asked him if he was in, in uniform. You confirmed to me that he wasn't. Uh, but Lee, Justin Broyles had a pretty good game yesterday. Um, I, I specifically remember a uh, an open field tackle that was that was fairly important. Um, yeah, and that he was also, the second I, half. I remember that. Like, l- l- just let me throw it out there, Lee. I, uh, Kent State's biggest play of the game was 24 yards. So I mean, we got that's two consecutive games now where OU has not let anyone behind them, and that I mean that's a big deal. I like that. That's impressive. Uh, only four. Uh, four yards per play against Kent State. It was 3.9 against UTEP last week, I believe. Uh, you know, back-to-back games where, you know, not against Western Carolina. I mean, it's, again, it's a group of five schools, but, I mean, four yards per play or less in back-to-back games, only 16 total points allowed, just one touchdown. I mean, you got to be super excited about the direction of this defense. And, again, like I think I said this at the start of the podcast, it's what we all kind of, ex- or all kind of hope for. I almost said expected. I didn't necessarily expect that. Like, I think we all expect the defense to be better this year than last year, but that's kind of a low bar. Last year's defense wasn't very good. There was, there was stretches of just horrible, horrible play, and there was some good stuff, but overall, I mean, it was a defense that finished in the 70s, I believe, total defense, and then I don't even know where it was, and I know you like the SP plus ratings. I, who knows where it was there? But They were uh, like 60th. I, yeah, it's just it wasn't a very good defense at all. And through two games, I guess I haven't even looked at numbers yet. Uh, again, I mean, they're playing two group of five schools, but I would bet that OU's defense is probably pretty highly ranked right now nationally, which it should they were, be. Um, I mean, they played well. Well, SP Plus is, is going to be different because it, there's still a lot of last year that's factored in. They were 23rd going into today. I would assume they're probably going to be a, a tad higher after uh, after Saturday. But, uh, yeah, and I mean, it's, obvi- it's, it's a good trajectory for sure. Just real quick, I'm looking at the... I know you're not a big fan of total defense, but it's kind of raw stats that I kind of like. Wow, you know, Grant, you know the number one defense in college football is right now through two weeks? Georgia? You'll, you'll never guess this, but also you'll feel crazy that it is Minnesota. You did guess it. It's because they, play, they played New Mexico State, and that was, that was actually the, the, the most, like, that was the least competitive gopher game I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, the team that UTEP just played and only beat by a touchdown. That's right. Yeah, New, New Mexico State's bad. New Mexico State is, is maybe the worst team in the FBS. Uh, I think uh, Colorado might be uh, up there, too. Hey, go for play Colorado next week, too. Love it. <laughs> Kansas, no longer a doormat, potentially. How about that? Yeah, hey, I, that's, hey that's one that I, I, I you know, if I, I, I said on our preview pod that if I had to pick against the spread, I'd pick Kansas in that one. But I also said that I'm still picking Kansas to go winless in the Big 12, and oopsie. Hmm. Well, Oklahoma's total defense actually is not great right now. They're 44th, uh, but only you know 305. I mean, it's been two games, whatever. Some teams have played three, obviously. Uh, but yards per play-wise, they are in the top 20, so that's good. Okay, anyways, uh, let's see. I feel like I had one more thing I wanted to bring up. Oh, yes, uh, it's kind of... You reminded me of something a little bit ago when you brought up just how the, the the defensive front was getting a lot of pressure. As time goes on, hopefully that pressure is consistent. And they're, you know, when they, Oklahoma faces more teams that want to throw the ball around a little bit more, hopefully that leads to more takeaways, more interceptions. Maybe the defensive backs can get up there and make some breaks on the ball and maybe get some hands well, on the ball and, and take the ball away. Havoc, you know, havoc equals turnovers, and OU's havoc numbers in the first two games are really, really good. Good stuff. 
All right, let's flip the script over to the offense. And, you know, it's a tale of good and bad. And we'll start with the bad. We'll start the, the first half. I mean, what was that, Grant? I mean, five possessions total. Uh, the last possession was very good, resulted in a touchdown. But the first four possessions of the first half, 21 snaps, only 82 yards. OU averaged only 3.9 yards per play in the first four possessions, all punts. Uh, and uh, for the entirety of the first half, only eight yards rushing for Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel was sacked a couple of times. It, it uh, So I've only rewatched the first quarter. I, I haven't seen the last couple of series of OU, but to me what it looked like the first few series of Oklahoma, uh, Kent State's defense was super aggressive, attacking downhill, a little bit of tight, sticky coverage here and there, but also just not recognizing what Kent State was doing. Uh, and Dylan Gabriel not waiting a tick and not going through his progressions enough to find the open guy because like against Washington, there was some open space to be had from what I've seen so far in the rewatch. It just wasn't really exploited early on in this game. I'm assuming it was exploited quite a bit in the second half when Oklahoma's offense looked a lot better. Uh, I'll, I'll be able to rewatch that and, and let you guys know, hopefully, the next time. But uh, just kind of in general, it, it was not good. And uh, I, I have a theory on one of the other, uh, you know, one of the, I think the second series, I have kind of some more thoughts, but I'll, I'll throw it over to you. What it, is there anything that stood out to you mainly about why Oklahoma could not move the football in the first half? Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, where do you want me to start? Um, like I said, yeah, that very first series, right? I mean, you, they go three and out in the very first series. They kind of run into a brick wall the first two plays of the game. And I look at it, and I'm just like, yeah, Kent State's got eight guys in the box. OU doesn't have enough guys to block them up. Kent State is obviously just selling out to stop the run, and OU is just running right into it. And they got a guy, Eric Gray, who kind of goes down whenever he's touched initially. That's what was happening. The offensive line also wasn't getting much of a push. The very first play of the game, Anton Harrison just completely whiffs on his block, falls down. Um, thus making Eric Gray having to make two guys miss, which he's not able to do. Um, and then, yeah, what you said about Dylan Gabriel, the guy when, when he has to throw and the defense knows he has to throw and he's got to go through his progressions and hit a guy who is open or, or hit him in stride, he's not consistently able to do that. And he wasn't able to do that at UCF either. And so, um, I mean, that's, that's mostly why. I, I would prefer to stick just kind of with, with like what the positive takeaways are. Which is like this offense with like and right now the offense is, is not humming right now. They need to get a lot better, obviously. But that's not that's not going to happen unless they identify right now what they're best at doing, which is getting the ball to Marvin Mims. So when they go into Lincoln next week, it should be Mims, Mims, Mims. We are feeding the ball to him any way we possibly can. And it's com it'd be com it's completely unforgivable if that's not their game plan going into next week. What do you think? Well, they went to that. I mean, that was essentially the final drive of the first half, right? <laughs> I mean, it was yes. uh, it somehow like Kent State was allowing Mims to have the sideline. I mean, and get out of bounds. And it almost like I understood it after the touchdown catch because, man, they were afraid that he was going to go deep on him. And, oh, you set him up for it. You know, it was like a quick little 11-yard curl. Oh, out of bounds. And then finally they hit him with it. And by the way, that was a really good throw by Dylan Gabriel on the touchdown pass to Marvin Mims. So it was. Mean, he can't put it there. He, he, he no, can't put it on. He's capable you know, of doing yeah. it. Like there's, so that's where it's like, you know, I'm, it's like, I, I have a lot of negative thoughts about Dylan Gabriel after this game, but like, I, I, I want to keep it into context because Dylan Gabriel does have 
kind of a trump card in his back pocket and it's that he loves he he likes to take shots downfield and that's when he is at his best when they are when they are dialing up stuff for him downfield where he doesn't have to think as much and he's actually pulling the trigger and doing it that's where like his you know if he's able to hit a bunch of shots like that in a game that's going to invalidate a lot of the stuff that he struggles with that's one of the things where if he, if he had to pick one thing that a quarterback was going to have if he can only have one thing his ability to hit deep shots is what you would want and that is what Dylan Gabriel has it's just man it's it's the other stuff that he's frank he's just not very good at frankly and and if he can find that balance between those deep shots and then knowing exactly what the right time to check down like remember last last game I criticized him a couple on a couple of plays where he should have checked down to wide open backs that potentially could have gone for touchdowns he did that in the uh, second half did. to Marcus Major exactly that's what I was getting to so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I haven't rewatched it but it did stand out to me when I was uh, in the second half I was up top in the catbird seat so I had a better view of everything and I did notice that. I, I noticed when he checked down, it was towards the short, you know, the, the near side of the field. And I, in my head, I thought, I think he wanted to take a shot there, but he didn't. He checked down. And Major, I think, picked up a pretty good chunk of yardage. He was open. So maybe there's a little bit of progress there, which was nice to see. I will say, I, I did mention a moment ago, I had a theory kind of on, on kind of what was going on. I think, and this kind of goes, a part of this is what we've been kind of worried about leading up to the season is just, the super up-tempo offense, I think you and I would maybe describe it, maybe we already have on the show, it's it's a gimmick. It's kind of gimmicky, and you know we don't like gimmicky-type offenses. And I, that's, through two games, that's what it looks like to me. It, it's, it's kind of a gimmick. And where you can get in problems is obviously when you get bogged down and you can't move the ball. And on the second drive of the game, they hit Marvin Mims on that 32-yard explosive play. It's like, all right, here we go. That first series was kind of an aberration. Now they're going to get it going. This Kent State's uh, defense is terrible. They allowed Washington to score on the six straight you know, possessions last week. Here we go. And then you know, Mims hits that play, and then they're three and out. The next three snaps, nothing. And to me, it was, man, this offense is so – they're just – it's so predictable when they're going fast. That's why some teams can stop it. I mean – what does Oklahoma do a lot when they hit big plays? They just run the ball the next play. They just they rely on things going so fast that you're not set as a defense and you're going to be out of position. And here's the thing, though. If the defense, though, can make a pretty good guess on 70% of those plays that you're going to probably run it, well, they can all just attack up and make a tackle. I mean, the next snap was a running play, I think, to Marcus Major. He had nowhere to go. I mean, the, the linebackers and safeties all attack downhill really fast. Boom. The next snap on second down and long, they brought Marvin Mims in kind of like semi-orbit motion behind Gabriel, which signaled to the D-backs, like, oh, Mims is on motion. I'll just key after him. And, of course, the ball was a swing pass over to Mims that had no chance. And just like that, now it's third long. It's third and 12. And it just seemed very predictable as opposed to, this Kent State defense gave up a lot of space against Washington. There's going to be a lot of open guys. Just keep, keep going. I mean, you hit Mar Marvin Mims, throw the ball the next play. Uh, there's going to be some open spots. And so it, I think they made it kind of easy on the defense. And it makes other defenses probably have an easier time moving forward just because it seems like this offense, it's big play. All right, run left or run right. We're just going to keep it going. And 
I think it's kind of easy to predict that. Therefore, easier for these defenses to maybe to, to make stops in the running game. And so that's kind of what I'm worried about moving forward. And again, I'm curious to watch back the second half to see what they did differently. But uh, that was a big, a, a bit of a problem, I thought, in the first half as well. I don't, do you, when you're watching, do you think, ah, this is just too, this is too predictable. It's too easy for the defense sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm my early opinions on on this offense. I don't really like it that much. It's it's not my favorite. It's two games. It's two games. I'm still, I, you know, I'm. It's it's certainly possible my opinions could completely change as soon as they put up 600 yards and 50 points on someone. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I, you know, I. I agree with you. I think the speed is a gimmick. I think um, I think what I'm scared of is that you you emphasize and you focus way too much on going fast and not not focus enough on competence and getting into the right play, which I think is more important. Um, they're also not they're not great on the offensive line right now, especially the interior of the offensive line. We didn't mention this, but this is interesting. Anton Harrison was back to playing the left tackle in this game. Guyton was on the right side. Um, they still struggle to get a push on the interior, though. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I haven't gone back to really watch it closely enough to who it would be. I'm, I'm not too concerned about that yet. Um, but that's obviously a problem. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't love the wide splits. In fact, I hate the wide splits. Um, unless you're actually going to take advantage of the space, why are you doing it? Of the offensive line, do they have super wide splits? I haven't even. Noticed. No, I'm talking about the Is splits of the receivers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're far, especially considering that Dylan Gabriel, uh, you know, doesn't have a howitzer as an arm. So it's almost like. Whenever there's a guy like they're on like the far hash and they have a receiver all the way to the other side, it's like there's no chance that guy's part of the play. <laughs> I mean, like, like, like yeah, I mean, here? if you're going to if you're going to do wide receiver splits like that and you're not going to run routes that are designed to try to sit down in the middle of a zone, which I, I didn't see that really at all last night. I, I don't understand why you're doing it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's there's a lot. I feel like uh, you know, a lot the first half of this game, you know, really crystallized and and, and and kind of confirmed a lot of our our hesitations from you know, our last couple podcasts about Dylan Gabriel uh, so I mean maybe we'll see a little bit more like ah, I'm not sure what's going on here but then again like I think you uh, you mentioned earlier yeah I mean his numbers his numbers look really good so uh, and again I he played really well in the second half and that's good I mean the entire team something happened after halftime and that's a good thing I mean my whole thought was, and we were texting during the, the first part of the game, you know, the whole bit that I've been really behind with Brent Venables, a lot of things, but I've been pretty forceful in my thought of this Oklahoma team is going to be more prepared game to game than we've seen in, in a while, just because that's Brent Venables' thing. I mean, he's so, uh, he's so particular. He's so into the details. Team to team, game to game, he can make adjustments in different things, and they come out and it's three nothing. They're down three nothing to Kent State late in the second quarter, and you're thinking this team isn't ready. I mean, defensively they were, and, and so I guess credit to Brent Venables because that's kind of his thing. And you know maybe you know on Jeff Lebby's side they they were not fully ready, but whatever happened after halftime is exactly what should have happened. And credit to the team for I mean I mean beating down Kent State. The offense clicked. The defense kept clicking, and so. It, like I said in the very beginning of the show, it, the second half certainly eased a little bit of the concern uh, because that final score looks a lot better at thirty-three to three than it would have if it was, you know, seventeen to thirteen or twenty to seventeen or something. Man, uh, all right, where was I going with that? I feel like I was going somewhere. We're talking about offense. Oh yeah, let's go to the second half. Let's talk about the positives on the offense. The second half. I mean, uh, 
you watched it on TV. I guess I was up top. I mean, it, it just it seemed like they were throwing the ball a little bit more. They were finding open space a lot more in the second half, and they ran the ball a little bit, a little bit better. Uh, Marcus Major had a really nice touchdown run. Eric Gray did have a nice explosive run later in the game, uh, even though I, I tend to agree. I, it's, it's becoming more and more clear that Gray is just not very explosive, and it's he's not the guy that make the first guy miss, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, Marcus Major, he, he might be the best back on the team right now, Grant. Yeah, no, I mean, this was this this was the first time and and everyone knows ever everyone knows where, you know, I've I've staked out on, on Marcus Major at this point in time, even with Eric Gray as well. Um, the Marcus Major Bobos, man, they have they have every right to chirp about this game. Every right. Um, this was this was the clearest it's ever been in, in my mind. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm going by this game as a as as sort of a measuring stick, Marcus Major looks a lot more explosive and a lot more effective than Eric Gray does. I, I will concede on that one. Uh, based on this game, that is absolutely the case. It's not even close. I agree, and he actually had the fewest amount of carries of the, the three main guys. We saw Javante Barnes. They, had, you know, they, they used him a lot more this game, uh, trying to get him going because they were trying to find a spark in that first half. And Barnes looked a lot like he looked like in the spring game, Grant. Nowhere to go. <laughs> he, had, he had nine carries for 21 yards. Uh, it's not really anything. I mean, Marcus Major only had five carries, but he had 38 yards, that really nice touchdown run where he made the first guy miss. Uh, Eric Gray's numbers actually ended up being pretty good, but that's because he had a 44-yard run, I believe. I think it was 44 yards. Gray and ended honestly, up on that, though, if you, take, if you replace Eric Gray with Javante Barnes or Marcus Major after he made that cut in the open field, I think both those guys score. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. He, and it was does, just, it was, it was concerning so much faster watching him make, and that cut that he made in the open field, that was an awesome cut. I mean, left that guy completely in the dust, but then just his, his inability to separate from there though, is just, is a little concerning. And so I, you know, Eric Gray is, as far as I'm concerned after that game, it's, he's not super useful unless he's completely out in space. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's starting to become a little more clear, uh, you know, super hard worker, you know, smart player, but it's just physically for whatever reason i maybe i i just i didn't watch you know those tennessee highlights in the right i guess light or something because he looked a lot more explosive a couple of years ago same i i thought i thought he was breaking through arm tackles at least at tennessee he's not here he can't he it's something he's not able to do and um i i really do think his value moving forward is going to be more as, as as a bit guy in the slot um, if they're if if he's out there and they're not getting him involved in the in the passing game, man, I don't know. I because he's he is effective in the open field. He he really really is. He can stop really quickly and he can get started again really quickly. He just doesn't have a lot of acceleration once he does. All right, let's go back to the positive. You've already talked about Marvin Mims a little bit, but let's just kind of dial more down into his day. That was a career day. I mean, that was the best game of his career. Seven catches. 163 yards and a couple of touchdowns and it he and all, by the way also a really nice punt return he had like a 40 yard punt return I think later in the game uh, I think I, I believe the game notes said it was the most total yards he's ever had as well which is not surprising he looks like just kind of watching down there especially the first touchdown he looks like he's having a lot more fun and I know it's only two games into the year and he was used a little bit sparingly last week had the nice explosive catch but they really got him involved, and you know the whole offseason thing about, oh, is, is he a guy that's going to leave? Like, okay, here we go. He's back. And 
I've said a bunch. I wonder how much Jeff Levy sold. Like, hey, in my system, we get guys the ball. You're going to have a lot of catches, a lot of touches. Well, in game number two, we saw that. And he was the featured guy, and he should be. He's a really good player. Uh, Marvin, I, and I love seeing Marvin Mims do what he, do what he did on Saturday night. And, yeah, I, find creative ways to get him the football because when the ball is in his hands, more often than not, good things are going to happen. Uh, anything else, any other things that you want to hit on with Marvin Mims? Um, he's... He's the best player on the team. He's been the best player on the offense the last two and a half seasons. The you know outside of five Ramondre Stevenson games in 2020, uh, he's he should be the focal point of the team moving forward. I, I like I said, if he is if they are not targeting him early and often in Lincoln next week, I'm going to be really disappointed. Same. Another receiver, Drake Stoops. How about that touchdown by him? I mean, that was awesome. a terrific individual, really good play. player. Thing is, I, I don't know if they're going to take advantage of. I don't know if this offense wants to take advantage of of where Drake Soups can really help you the most. Which I, I really feel like Drake Soups is that guy that that you want, you know, running against zone coverage, sitting down in the middle of the zone. I, you know, this play was great. Is an explosive play that he made pretty much by himself. I, I want to see him get more opportunities. I don't know if this offense is going to afford it. Yeah. I kind of I kind of agree with that. I texted you after he had, he made that play. He's like, he looks like he looked like when he was at Norman North. I mean, just like one of the best players on the field. I mean, easy. I mean, uh, athletic, reaching the ball out, yeah, touchdown. And he didn't even lose the ball. Like a lot of those guys, you know, they'll reach the ball out and they'll like they'll drop it or they'll come out of their. Hand. He didn't lose it. He just he reached it out, held on to it, easy touchdown. I think he I think his shoe fell off in the middle of he it lost too. Lost his shoe. Yeah. Uh, so you know, just a great, terrific individual play from Drake Stoops. I, I'm with you. I mean. Marvin Mims yeah, with the ball me, in his hand. Drake Stoops with the ball in his hand. Yeah. Let's highlight. Let's let let's let's highlight the positive though. We talked about, um, obviously, like the you know in the first half those those four drives where they bogged down, only was able to pick up one first down or two first downs. I think in those two th- those first four drives, that's obviously the bad of this offense and kind of what it can look like at its worst. But here's the positive though. One thing we do know about this OU offensively, they are explosive. This is an explosive offense. And it's, and this is what I, I texted you this before we got on. And this is something that like this, this offense so far reminds me a lot of those Trace McSorley Penn State offenses, which were not efficient, went three and out a lot, but man, they hit home runs a lot. And that, that made them respectable and competent despite them not getting first downs at a, at a super large clip. As much as I, I hate to admit this, I think that's a really good comparison. I, I hated those Penn State offenses, though. I hated them. I, you know, I mean, go back that, without our first. I think that was our first year, 2017. I railed on Penn State so much because I, I would, you know, that was back. I, I had more time. I was able. I watched so much more than I, I'm able to right now, and and I watched like full Penn State games, and I just could not figure out how they were scoring points because their offense, like you said, super inefficient. Didn't gain a whole lot of yards. Went three and out a lot. Uh, but then, yeah, they would hit explosive plays. That was, you know, Saquon Barkley was there. And uh, Chris yeah, Godwin. man, that's was was Godwin on that team? Jeez, yeah, Godwin was him. on the 2016 team. So their their best oh, okay, yeah. See, their was, best yeah. example of that was their 2016 team that lost in the Rose Bowl to USC, where they were just they like they were they were like in the bottom third of all of college football in, in SP plus success rate that season, but they were the most but outside of OU they were the most explosive team in the country. So whenever they did have successful plays, they were ungodly explosive. And I, it, this is what this OU offense looks like right now. 
So Oklahoma has, so far through two games, they have 13 explosive plays, and I'm counting an explosive play as a play 20 yards or more. And if you take out all the, the, the teams that have already played three games instead of two, uh, you know, OU's in the top 20 nationally in explosive plays. Florida Atlantic, well, they've already played three games. The, the team, <laughs> wow, I mean, I guess this kind of tracks with what they're trying to do. The team with the most explosive plays right now with, that have only had, uh, played two games, TCU, they have 19. And I think they Didn't just they had just, a, they had a, they had a ton last night against they Tarleton just played Tarleton, State. So. Tarleton, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, very interesting, Grant. Uh, I think that's a good point. Uh, but before we go on to, uh, we're gonna do three word reviews here. Lastly, I'm not sure if we have much on this. I just wanted to point it out because this is a guy that we were really excited about going into the year. But where's Jaleel Farouk? He's been silent for the first two games for the most well, part. He was he was running wide open on uh, on one of Dylan Gabriel's sacks and okay so yeah and, I and guess it, was, it was a shot play to him I mean that was that's what the design of the play was and Gabriel just he just didn't pull the trigger I mean that's what it it's what it was and like from what we've seen so far that's going to happen this season and I think the trade-off is going to be that he's going to hit some of those he's going to hit some of those big plays and on some of them he's going to get sacked and he's or or he's going to hold on to the ball too long. All right. Well, that yeah, that answered my question pretty well. Actually, I did uh, want to mention before we go to three word reviews, I sent you a. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like we're twelve. I, I I sent you a Snapchat of the the cool light show stuff going on in the stadium last night. That that was new. That was different. Uh, it it makes me think back to when we were talking about. All of the offseason, you know, what are they going to do to make the game day experience better, the in-game experience better? I know that's something that you're really passionate about. And I will say, uh, obviously, they couldn't do it with a, a day game last week, but with, a, with the, you know, the lights on and it being dark and a night game, that definitely added a little bit of extra juice to the stadium and a much-needed time in the second half when Oklahoma was playing really well. And, uh, you know, they kind of were flashing the lights. I think uh, – I think I saw Josh Calloway, a buddy of mine. You know, he uh, down on the sidelines. He, he mentioned it looked like a rave was going on <laughs> inside, uh, you know, Memorial Stadium. So like they're trying, they're they're trying to do something different to bring a little bit more energy to the stadium. And I'm not sure how much of that came across on the Snapchat I sent on, you, Grant. On, okay. Uh, I mean, as I say, a lot of it came across on TV. It looked cool on TV. Oh, okay. So TV kind of highlighted it too. Yeah, it got like on, on the touchdowns, especially. It gets really dark in that stadium on the touchdowns. Uh, at least it does on TV. But it, it no, looked it cool. I mean, it was it was a cool visual for sure. So yeah, that was different. That was new. And you know, who knows how many night games are going to play? I mean, I guess we don't, we never know the schedule because I mean, I right kind of think. I, yeah, I I think I think the I think the game in two weeks against K State is actually a pretty decent. Uh, they that might be a night game. Yeah, K State, good, good on them. Pretty easy win because over I, Missouri. It's pretty easy for me to see because Ohio State and Wisconsin played that week too. I could easily see that being big noon kickoff. Okay, even though even though just Wisconsin just lost. Yeah, because they're going to do that. Just they they just want TV ratings, and Ohio State Wisconsin is going to get massive ratings, definitely okay. more than OU Kansas State. Uh, how dare you? How dare you? I mean, there's there's more people that live in those areas. That's just, there's just more people to watch. Yeah. All right, let's go on to three word reviews. And I feel like every time I got to do this, I apologize. I always forget to put it on the West of Everest Facebook page. So uh, Facebook 
people and non-Twitter people, you, you probably didn't see the prompt. I did put it on Twitter. So every three, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, every three-word review is from Twitter, at Lee Benson News 9. We'll start with my coworker at News 9, Steve McGeehy. Steve always chimes in with the record, two and O. Oh. Jason says, jury still out. Very fair. Very fair. Uh, very similar from Angel. Angel says, work in progress. Our friend of the show, Harry. Harry says, sooner group tacklers. Yeah, the defense, just the, the tackling, it just seems better. Uh, everything on defense just seems more competent. And it, it's enjoyable so far. Yeah, if, uh, S- if, if, if Kent State wouldn't have had a, a really toolsy quarterback, they would not have been <laughs> able to move the ball at all. <laughs> Sooner 79 on Twitter says miserable 29 minutes. That's a good one because obviously referencing the first first part of the game and then Oklahoma puts it all together for that, you know, last minute of the first half of the touchdown drive. Yeah, it, it just it was very bizarre. The the best part about the first part of that game, Grant, was that the game was flying by. <laughs> it was flying by. Yeah, it was really quick. Although I just I felt like I was watching like felt like I was watching like Michigan State play on a Friday night on BTN or something. That's what it looks like. That's what OU looked like in the first half. Yeah. Michael says second half adjustments. Similar to that, BW on Twitter says great halftime speech. Also has a couple more. Says Marcus Juke Major. I like that one. And uh, he's into the nicknames. He says Danny Hitstick Stutzman. Uh, How about this one? Miguel, more on the negative, just kind of pointing out offensive line, yikes. You know, I'm just I'm not an expert on offensive line play, and I haven't rewatched the game back. Uh, I'll, I'll have to tune into Gabe and Teddy's podcast this week to get their thoughts. I didn't listen last week to get their thoughts on the offensive line. Maybe uh, I I did happen to when I was walking by at halftime. I did hear Teddy talking about how they got to run the ball better in the second half. That's kind of a given. So I, I'll I'll need to tune into their podcast this week to get their thoughts on this game and, and to hopefully get more information on how the offensive line played. I know that you're kind of the same as they weren't very good. Really. They weren't very good. They, uh, they were, they were decent to above average in pass protection, uh, blocking up the run game. They were bad period. More offensive line criticism. Gus says, O line running Monday, (laughs) uh, tenable Venables is kind of parroting what we talked about earlier. And he was on it before us because this three word review came in last night. He says, Gray, not RB1. And, I mean, Michael follows it up. And Michael with another one says, Major is legit. So, you know, Marcus Major might be, you know, working himself into RB1 territory. And uh, Bobby kind of along the same lines. Bobby says, Marcus Major, good. And one more three-word review. I appreciate some of you guys have had multiple ones. And BW, I've already, uh, you know, gone through a few of yours. And, and this one, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of taking a shot, but, you know, we're at the end of the podcast, so we'll, we'll t- take a bit of a shot. BW says, Lincoln would have lost. <laughs> I don't know about that. Probably not. But, uh, you know, you, you, can't, it, it's, you can't really hit, hate on Lincoln Riley right now. I mean, USC's offense is probably the best offense in college football right now. Uh, it's, um, it's great. It is. It's the best offense in college football. And I, it, it pisses me off that that's the case, but that, that does appear to be the case. But it's not surprising. I mean, you knew they're going to move the ball, score points. I mean, Gabe actually, you know, really I mean, Ohio State's probably is better. It is probably going to be better. I, you know, 
I don't, I don't really know how. I mean, Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in the country. That's it's pretty clear to me after watching him last night. Um, he's so smooth. He's so good, and it's uh, it sucks, but it is what it is. Yeah, no, it's it's all right. I mean, the I haven't had a chance to watch any of that game yet. Uh, you know, going into it. I, I I figured USC would cover the nine. I just Stanford stinks. I, but although I I was surprised. I, I looking at their quarterback is supposedly supposed to be a guy that's like one of the top draft prospects. Uh, how did he play? I mean, and how much of the game did you watch? Um, uh, he didn't look very impressive. Stanford was getting. I mean, he he was okay at times, uh, but Stanford was getting quite a bit of chunk yards on the ground, um, especially in the first half. I don't know, man. Okay. It's 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 all about the I. Watching that game last night, a lot of things can change, obviously. But I came away from that thing, and that USC probably is the Pac-12 favorite, uh, just because their offense is going to be too good. Um, the offense they were running, it, it looked it looked like the 2018 OU offense. They were they were running Jordan Addison and Mario Williams deep the entire game, and they were open. Yeah, I saw Addison had a pretty big game. Uh, you know, a game like, like a, a big time, like CD Lamb, like when he was just going crazy type game so yeah i mean usc's no, I mean, kind of got I, that I interesting recognize they hit addison at least on one i saw him he had he had one really long touchdown and it was the it was the patented really long touchdown pass the one where he rolls out to his right he stops and he goes deep that dd westbrook has caught that marquise brown has caught that cd lamb has caught i mean it was it was the lincoln riley play there we go well this starts the the really interesting stretch for USC and I guess you could make the argument for OU right isn't this kind of like when OU's kind of really interesting stretch starts with, with Nebraska this is it and this is their toughest stretch of the season on paper right now at Nebraska and, uh, home versus K-State at TCU Cotton Bowl this is it and I and you can make the same argument for USC if we're you know since we're talking about USC at Fresno State at Oregon State Arizona State a Washington State team who just beat Wisconsin and then at Utah so uh, I mean, I think we're going to learn a lot about both Oklahoma and USC by the middle of October, Grant. Interesting. We're going to learn a lot about OU next week. A lot. You got to going against a Nebraska team that is wounded. I mean, this is the OU is about to go up against a desperate team. And, I, you know, a desperate team that has pretty obviously been putrid on defense so far. Um but they're a desperate team that has shown the ability to complete forward passes down the field, even in the games that they've lost. And that's scary to me. Yeah, their their offense clearly is is very capable. Very, very capable. And so uh, it'll be a good test for, for everything. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, part of me, like just if I'm just a if I'm an observer that has no ties to either school. In my mind, I'm thinking like, oh my god, like Nebraska's bad. Like even though Oklahoma's kind of scuffling, like this should not be a problem for Oklahoma. Like that's probably what I would think if I just, you know, had no again, like wasn't dialed in to either one of the teams, and just think, man, like is Scott Frost going to get fired? And so I know you you brought that up. Maybe uh, did you bring that up on the podcast? Like, could he get fired if Oklahoma just destroys them? Or uh, maybe, or we talk but about also they. The um, I I I was reading yesterday. So his buyout, I think yep. once they get. Once you get past six games this season, his buyout goes from seven million to one million, I think. And so, I even even that they might just wait until then because that just makes sense. Yeah. yeah. 
But Although, yeah, I, I think yeah, he's no, he's already you're right, you're right. he's already done. I think the only thing that could save him, he would obviously have to work. He'd obviously have to win this Saturday. Um, and on, I mean, he, he'd have to. He, he can't lose again until that buyout gets there. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I had heard that too. I, a guy I work with is a big Nebraska guy, and he told me that the other day. I thought, oh, okay, well, that yeah. I mean, but, the only thing is, it was like after OU they have a buy, but then I mean, if if the writing's on the wall, who cares if he if he's gone, you know, in a couple weeks, or if he's gone in six or seven weeks? Like, it, I guess I could see matter. like a. I could see a scenario where actually, you know, I don't even want to put this in the ether. I'm terrified of Nebraska this week. I, I'm I'm not treating this game as a layup at all. It is not. Um, I, I don't even I don't even want to put it in the ether. I'm. This is going to be one of those where if there are any OU fans out there that are like kind of super like confident and and throwing it out there like OU is going to roll over Nebraska. Shut up. Don't do it because it's <laughs> it's just not like I want everyone to be terrified of this game. Nobody should be taking this one for granted. I think it was, I was listening to the Sooner Scoop podcast this week, and I hadn't thought of this yet, just because, I mean, I, I don't think ahead that much. I, I look at the, the next opponent, and then that's it, and it's like, okay, so now we're on to Nebraska. I just, I don't have that in my DNA. I, some people, it's, it's August 13th, and some people are like, oh, man, the Cotton Bowl is going to be great this year, man. Oh, you tech, it's like, oh, my God, like, the football season is so short. I'm looking at game number one. Take it in. Enjoy it. Like, I'm not looking, like, it makes no sense to look that far ahead. But now that we're at Nebraska, they were talking about uh, how you know, obviously you're going to Lincoln. And I think they brought up Dylan Gabriel and going into an environment like that. And I hadn't thought about that, really. Uh, that's going to be probably the most like, intimidating environment he's played in after playing at UCF. I could look at their schedule and see who they, who they played on the road. But, I mean, at, I mean, even though Nebraska's not that great of a team, I mean, that whole idea of Nebraska, the tradition, the pageantry, those fans are just super into it. That, I mean, Dylan Gabriel in that kind of spot is something that we don't know what's going to happen. And he's a super common, cool guy, but we have our trepidations with the guy. And so as much as I would like to sit here and be like, you know what, this, it, it doesn't make sense logically to be that worried about this game just because Nebraska's not a good football team. They, they aren't. Uh, but this is college football, and we just saw – Texas A&M go down. We just saw Notre Dame go down. Uh, we almost Alabama almost lost to Texas. So it's they're a bunch of college kids. It's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. And that's a big reason why this is such an exciting sport. And it's so fun. Anything so, else? I just yeah. I mean, I already know how this week is going to go. I know all the Rube betters are going to be all over OU in this game. They're just going to be looking at scores. Oh my God, Nebraska just lost to Georgia Southern. Oh my God, hammer OU, hammer OU. I know the national media is going to be like, oh, this is going to be the Scott Frost fire game, running into a buzzsaw with OU. Ha ha, they've lost to Northwestern and Georgia Southern. And then, and then everyone's just going to be all, all, all stunned and surprised when Nebraska punches above their weight and plays, plays totally above their head. And I'm not here for it. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm already annoyed by it this week. And so I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I just want to put it out there in the ether. Just be, be on alert. I really hope OU this week... Is, is just locked in, preparing for this game, and they don't think they're going into a place where they're just going to roll over or the other team is going to roll over. So we heard it all year last year leading up to it. Oh, man, OU's going to drill Nebraska. OU's going to drill Nebraska. And then Nebraska came into, you know, came into Norman and was the more physical team and kind of punched OU in the face. And that sucked. That pissed me off at the time. And I just, yeah, it's, if crap like that happens again, I'm going to be pretty upset. Yeah, and this, I mean, the easy rebuttal to what you just said is this is 
this is why for nine months we were the reason why for nine months we were kind of excited about Brent Venables. The whole idea that that's new. The whole idea of them being ready to go and not being out physicaled is more likely, we hope, than when Lincoln Riley was the head coach and be more being more prepared for a, a team that uh, you know should should not have played Oklahoma as close as it did last year. Just shouldn't have in Norman. Uh, it's but actually I take that you know I take that back because Nebraska though as we saw throughout the entirety of the season was the greatest five and seven team of all time I mean they played everybody pretty close they just couldn't they couldn't win so that was a very unique team in a, in a weird way but uh, you know preparation the defense was ready to go against Kent State can the defense be just as good to go against Nebraska and Casey Thompson who's got a pretty darn good offense and can the offense uh, that looked lost for the first 29 minutes against Kent State can the offense come in and exploit a Nebraska defense that's been exploited for the most part by Northwestern and Georgia Southern who by the way Georgia Southern just implemented a brand new offense this season they've been running the triple option for years and now that I think I haven't seen the game but I, I think they, they're spreading it out they're they're not doing the triple option and clearly they had a lot of success against Nebraska and I think even North Dakota maybe was able to exploit Nebraska, at least for the first half of that game. I think it was kind of close until Nebraska separated from North Dakota uh, last week. So, uh, you know, you and I, we got some we got some game film to watch of the Cornhuskers in the next well, few Well, I mean, days. but where I'm worried, Lee, is that Nebraska has been exploited. They can't stop the run. And OU can't run the ball right now. Oh, that's not good. And so it's, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there, there's going to be plenty there. And I just, I want, this is a game that OU should win. OU is a better team than Nebraska. They're going to have to be focused. And they're going to have to come and they're going to have to take it because Nebraska, like I said, they're going to be. I, I I do not see them rolling over for this. No, me neither. I mean, I think they're going to. Nobody gonna rolls over against OU. Nobody does. It's never nope. happened. They you every OU gets everyone's best shot. If OU wants to go out and bury someone, they have to do it. The other team's not going to roll over. Indeed. All right, let's wrap that up. I think that's a good way to go out. Uh, we will be back later this week to talk OU Nebraska. Uh, Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.